0: Hello, and welcome to the You Can Experience podcast. Today, we have a very special episode. We bring together three well-known brands in the beverage business. And I'm really delighted to announce our roundtable today. We have from Coca-Cola HBC, Stuart Ward, who is the Head of Sales Capability. Hello, Stuart. Hey, Adam. How you doing? I'm great. And he's joined by David Anat, who's the Senior Director of Bees and the Head of US b 2 b for Anheuser-Busch, based in New York, right out of New York City, US. Hello, hey, uh, hey, Adam, how
1: are you doing? Cold that's, here in New York today, but, uh, but
0: good to be here. Well, that's great. And then Roderick Rosenbaum. Hi, Roderick. Roderick's head, a global director, route to consumer, and sales capability of Heineken. Hey, Adam. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And I also, we mentioned where David is, and Stuart, you're in London, the UK. Yep. And Roderick, utrecht draft
2: close to Amsterdam, home
0: just, office. Just you tracked out of uh, the Netherlands, yeah. Where should, I'm, I'm based in the a- Amsterdam office here today, so it's great to have you. What a great worldwide spread. I'm so excited about this. There is so much happening in your world, and I want to dig deep into this, but I'm just delighted that we've got such a, well, frankly, a great spread of brands, but also a worldwide perspective on this. So uh, I'm going to dive straight into this. You know, I, I believe there's a lot of change in your business. Um, uh, there's always change in your business. But to me, it seems like it's been accelerated faster than ever. You had the digital transformation that's going on. Uh, you've got uh, changing consumer tastes and also, the you know, how the things are going in the supply chain. But then we were hit with COVID. And I'd like to start with that and find out how, how COVID and how the voice of customer that came through your outlets helped you shape your response to to COVID, Stuart? I'm going to start with you, facts, that's Okay, it's top of the top of the window. How did, how did it affect you guys? You guys at Coca-Cola HBC?
3: Um, yeah, I mean, our, our first response was was I suppose very early in that in that March 2020, um, and we really actioned our sales team straight away, just to keep close to our customers, to call them regularly, ideally daily to really understand what was going on. Um, you know, are the customers going to stay open? Are they going to close? What are the challenges they are facing? Um, and, and what support will they need and how can we help them? I suppose, I think it was a time as an industry, we just got shoulder to shoulder with our customers to try and, you know, work our way through this against, as you call it, you know, massive adversity. Um, so that was really the essence. Um, and I suppose it was about acting fast. And I think that was the thing that, we started to take away is we needed to be much faster in the way we acted. Um, And that meant that we stopped, you know, our existing approach that we took to customer satisfaction. We used to run a, you know, a kind of a once a year survey. Um, It just didn't feel right to be doing that at this time. And it was more important that our sales teams were calling the customers, finding what was happening. And we just learned a lot through that process. And then we took the time to ask the question to say, well, How do we now take that forward as a way of building, you know, our customer experience model? Yeah. And being more inclusive, because also the previous approach was more of a sample. So we'd take a a small range of customers and, and, and then survey across them, whereas we found actually Talking to every customer is what matters. We really wanted to look for how do we get feedback because every customer has the right to give us feedback from every single customer that we serve.
0: So, not just, and, not just the big retailers, but right out to the small. Yeah. Aspects.
3: So, you know, whether that is a, a bar, a cafe, a supermarket, you know, a wholesaler, any part that we have, we just took the view how do we have the right to get them to give us feedback? Um, and that kind of led us to, to the conversations, you know, with you, because, you know, we, we saw so much value in being closer and acting fast. We wanted to make sure that we had a, a process that brought that to life ongoing afterwards.
0: Wow. OK, that sounds like a real sea change in COVID. I'm going to come back to that if that's OK, Stuart. But mm. I'd like to bring David in because in the, um, you know, David, from the US point of view, I think you went into the lockdown perhaps a bit after we did in Europe. Um, how how was that with you? With bars closing at the same rate, can you give us some color and context? What you learned from the field?
1: No, no, no problem at all. So, so we, um, I think, with with the advent of COVID, we in the United States had a, a pretty different experience, especially from a beer sales standpoint, than kind of the rest of the world. So overall, Anheuser Busch had a had a great year. I would say in 2020 from a performance standpoint, um, kind of our, our biggest revenue growth year in, in, in a long time, uh, primarily driven by, I think, consumer buying patterns of, hey, you know we're going now into the off-premise. We, a, a significant, significant part of our revenue, of our volume goes through off-premise, particularly off-premise chains. Um, so as you think about what the consumer was doing, going after kind of known brands, going after larger packages, um, in the United States, there was a lot of makeshift that, that helped us benefit as a result of that. But as you as you think about what that means, the listening patterns and kind of even the dynamics of go-to-market and route to market are different in some of those larger chains, your Walmarts, your Kroger's, your, your Publix's, whatever. So as we as we thought about how we how we listened and how we interacted with um with, with customers in a little bit different of a way. Uh, ultimately we were trying to balance a couple of things, right? Because we, we don't own a route to market here in the United States. We're, we're a three tier system. So primarily everything goes through independent distributors over, over 90% of our volume and revenue goes through independent distributors. So we were constantly trying to balance. How do we make sure that we keep people safe? We continue to help and guide our communities while also making sure that we were listening to, um, you know, to what they needed, which was changing in a little bit of a in, in, in a little bit of a different way. Right. So, you know, let's say that the average Walmart in the past got maybe two, three, even four deliveries a week. Um, those touch points and, and kind of the quickness of, of beer consumption and beer delivery in the United States force kind of a lot more conversations to occur, but it pivots a little bit into, all right, what are we doing in the on-premise now where, in I think in, in April, 2020, we went into, into kind of almost the negative territories, right? How do you make sure that you are, are, are addressing the needs um, of those different people and listening in different ways? So similar to what Stuart said in the on-premises, which is primarily where we use customer gauge, we um, you know, we were we were listening and hearing different things. It was it was an interesting conversation and they wanted new things in that space. But in the off-premise, we start to hear and, and listen in a different way. So you use you know, syndicated solutions, advantage surveys, things like that, where we were trying to address and, and meet buyer needs in a slightly different way than we were maybe meeting store manager needs at a bar. So it's really kind of about being omni-channel, multifaceted in your listening strategy. I'm not even going to talk about, uh, you know, our, our our digital listening yet, um, but but definitely, I think omni-channel was an important part of that.
0: Roderick, I'd like to bring you in and get your perspective on the on on what was different or what you shared with the, your colleagues here.
2: Yeah, so I think. First of all, uh, was it, we were hit hard uh, by COVID. I mean, Europe was uh, globally as well. We have a large footprint in the on-premise as well, so of course that was a big impact. But uh, yeah, similar to what David was saying, it is the impact is a bit mixed. Of course, on-premise they they really struggled, uh, and they had have closures and big big measures against them. Uh, but in the off-premise, of course, demand was was soaring. Uh, combined with the e-commerce channel. So I think we had a really, really quick and agile response where we were looking at examples that were happening in different markets uh, where we saw solutions that countries uh, invented themselves because they were listening to customers. They were really close to customers at that time. Um, So, there are all sorts of solutions developed from, you know, supporting the own trade in in different ways, different financial ways, of course, but also in ways to help them with guidance, what they can learn about the government measures, what it impacts, how it impacts to them, uh, how we can help them set up, you know, from all the way to how we can help them set up home deliveries and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest platform that we did was also like huge, almost like crowdfunding uh, measures, and uh, launched big campaigns for the public to help fund their, their, their own trade outlets. And that was copied in many, many countries. So a huge support on the one hand in on in trade. And in the modern trade, in the off trade, it was a similar type of support in the sense that the customers were facing problems uh, in terms of supply and everything. And we used a lot of creativity there and um, to help them also secure supply. And make sure that, for example, when our on-trade trucks were not being used, we used that to help them supply the off-trade uh, supermarkets oh. to help cope with supply. So there was a lot of creative solutions, and I think the nice thing about uh, we are really about sharing quickly and learning across the globe. So we took the solutions what were happening in Europe, and then we knew the wave would hit, you know, the Americas. So we were able to kind of, you know share the info and, and the knowledge with America so that they were already kind of ready to understand, hey, how can we best support customers and what can we do?
0: That's actually like a great example. also sounds like you were able to reduce somewhat the food miles, you know, by, by dual-purposing the, the transport. I think it's a really good example you had there. Um, is there anything else that came as a sort of a positive change through COVID? David Stewart, do you want to chip in on this? Anything that you did during that period that you're like, okay, that's what we're going to do we're, we're, we're going to take forward?
3: I mean, you know, there's been a, a massive change across the business in many different ways. And I, I do think, you know, we talked about on the behavioral side of getting closer to our customers, but also acting fast in the moment, whilst also recognizing that we needed to also prepare for what was going to happen, you know, at a later stage in COVID as well. So, you know, being ready for the future, ramping up our capabilities in terms of how we can serve in an omnichannel way is as the guys have already mentioned, because, you know, you could see the change in the way that people were shopping and the way that customers wanted to order. And, you know, we had to move faster in those areas to provide solutions.
0: Because it it seems to me like, you know, huge challenges in supply chain, you know, regulated from outside, uh it forces that suddenly you know the bars are opening up again you've got to stock them up as as quickly as you can right that must have been a huge challenge david did you have that yeah. so much in your territories no we
1: we we did and there are there are supply chain issues that you know that are that are enduring into now right so all of that that variation the variability in the can market and the glass market there have been different needs and different shortfalls and different things over the course of the past couple of years which I think are, are well-documented is, is something that we're not immune from, certainly. Um, it, it's good, obviously, as, as Anheuser-Busch, we have a lot of you know, verticalized operations that we can, we can kind of find and create efficiencies and, and find and, and really ultimately with the goal of maintaining our service levels, making sure that we're, we're providing as much product to our consumers uh, and our, our customers. But I think to answer your original question about you know, is there anything that we we saw during CoVID that we've carried through now is we've been kind of moving in the direction of digital ordering for ten years, right? And that's something that that for us, while it was it was an initiative, it was an important initiative, wasn't one of the important initiatives. and I think that as you see that acceleration of digital ordering. Uh, and, and the impact that that has on go-to-market, the impact that it has on route-to-market, and even the impact that it has on customer listening—that's um, something that we recognize is going to be kind of like the, the the biggest shift that we see, especially in the U.S. beer market. That's a little bit further, I would say, behind than the European beer market, especially in the off-premise where they're already doing BMI. We we primarily do traditional ordering here in the United States, so. As I think about as I think about how we can start to, to ascertain the difference between stated preferences and acted preferences, um, that's kind of where our listening strategy is going to evolve a little bit and, and that's how we're thinking about things in a new way right Don't just listen to what somebody says but observe and try to help guide new insights based on what they do. So as we think about, hey w- you know we saw that in the on-premise, X percent of orders are being actually ordered outside of normal business hours, right? So there are different things that we can start to capitalize, observe upon, and really understand how we can connect with our customers in a slightly different way based on this transition to the digital ordering medium.
0: I'm really glad you picked up on that. That was actually where, where I wanted to go with this. It seems to me that's a, that's been the longest cycle in your business, hasn't it? You said like for 10 years you've been in this direction. I know you've got the Bees platform in and House of Bush and ABI. Stuart, you've got uh, Wabi and some of your other digital. Yeah, portal. customer portal. And and uh, uh, Roderick, you've got uh, your, your customer portal within Heineken. So this is the trend that's going. To me, it seems there's this almost like this tension in that where, where you've had people going visiting and saying, hey, you should order this to giving people a screen to say, okay, it's up to you now. How do you navigate that, 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 that trend? And you know by listening to customers, does that help you through it? I'm, I'm going to go over to you, Roderick, on this. Because yeah, this, I think it's, it's something to nuance
2: time. a bit as well, right? It's, it's, I think in the heart and also your question about you know, what change really accelerated, I think we're closer to customers than ever. Right. And, um, and we always had good relationship with, uh, you know, Heineken sales reps and guys and girls always had really nice, good relationship with customers. I think it propels something also to get, you know, the people behind them close to the customer. So basically the back office, right, the, the whole company, because suddenly COVID reached this huge need of these customers that that needed support and, and, and this crisis, right? So we really I think that's the first point to maybe just to iterate that, 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 entrenched feeling that the whole company has and we have to really support and stand by our customers. And I think that really fulfills a lot. Of course, the digital agenda on top of that really accelerated, uh, you know, we see that everywhere, of course. Um, But I think that that is fundamental in the shift and the acceleration. If I look now in terms of the digital acceleration, I think another important thing to remember uh, it's always a means to an end. Eh? The digital was always a means to a better customer experience and a better... So that's, that's also crucial. But we do find it gives great opportunity, right? So because we were always in a... Yeah, you can be in a more transactional mindset to say, okay, the sales rep is going to the outlet once a week, twice a week, because he has to go get the order. Did the customer really want the sales rep to come there... Twice a week to capture the order. Yeah, we never really asked, right? But right. you know, so you you come, you accelerate a bit, and you go into that kind of mode, and and, and then you find you really add value. Yeah. Uh, and I think you know by by tailoring, using digital, using different
0: means, using the whole mix of the, the whole you know omni-channel by listening, by listening and understanding it. Yeah, yeah and then you can really tailor the service. And I think that's the big value. I can see both Stuart and David nodding in agreement. Yeah, I,
1: I, I do want to say one thing, Roderick. I, I agree fully, and, and obviously you know big big bet for us, and, and what we're pushing. But if, if if you find me the the retailer that says, "Man, I want to do my own inventory," that'll be I think that'll be the first one that I've found <laughs> as well. <Yeah>. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. But, uh, but but as I think about, you know, I, I wanted to just compliment one one thing there, which is, um, you know, it, it's it's the, the definition of service and what is service level has naturally, I think, to evolve. Right. Roger is 100 percent right. There is a rep going in counting some cases, doing a couple of things. It is value added activity. I don't think there's a retailer that's going to say, hey, I don't want you to come in and build my order for me. It's easier. Right. Just point blank. It's easier if you build the order, you deliver it but what we've needed to do i think as as a collective industry is start to think about how we can we can say that service is now just different it's not it's not necessarily that it was bad before but it's different it's improving as we think about what are some of those value added activities that a sales rep can now do or even a merchandiser can come in and do so there's there's kind of like as you start thinking about what are the what are the ways and what are the things that a customer needs from an experience standpoint you think about, all right, hey, there's going to be, need to be some over the top selling of providing and creating new insights, creating new categories, doing those things. But at the same time, you also do need to think about what is the merchandising support that helps to build those displays, that helps to stock shelves, especially even as you consider a, a uh, you know, grocery stores, convenience stores, especially in the US, we're experiencing the same kind of hiring, staffing. COVID kind of illness concerns that we were facing in our own businesses. So as you think about what the service mean, and, and obviously I'll I'll kind of say to the end that, that we, you know, obviously very much thank you to our frontline teams that were out, that were going out, putting themselves at risk uh, at, throughout throughout kind of um, throughout COVID. And, and while we were trying to make sure that we did everything we could to keep them safe and gave them the hand sanitizer and PPE. Um, they were providing a service to those retailers in a slightly different
0: way. That's a great point. Stuart, your team were also doing that. How did you you find that they were?
3: Yeah, I mean, let me talk on a a couple of points to maybe connect that, because, you know, from one side, there is obviously the acceleration of our, should we say, customer portal, you know, and and we do want to connect with, 100% you know, 100% of our customers in the next five years digitally. But the reality is we're learning as we go in this space. We're rapidly expanding. And, and it was fascinating. I think we're even on the call together when we saw a comment from one customer on feedback to our customer portals. And actually, it was really challenging. It was really tough feedback to read. But ultimately, it was fantastic because in that piece of feedback, it told us exactly what we can do better on and fix to improve our capability to serve our customers so that's really that power being open to listening to that feedback and being inclusive had we done a sample we may never have got that feedback yeah and at the same time through covid if we take it away from should we say you know digital customer portal entities the needs of customers through through covid were so different yeah And again, it was so unique. I mean, here were customers that, okay, we're closing, but we're going to sell online through the online takeaways. So how do we help them sell through there and and maximize revenue? How do we work with them on on menus and things like that? Here were other customers, you know, challenging, how do I keep my employees and my, my, my consumers safe when we reopen? How do we help them in that area? There were other customers saying, I just need help to open up, you know, restocking my fridges, all those kind of things like that, and we can help. So we started to see the needs very different and been able to sort of really provide the service to the customers they need at a great difficult time. So, you know, that's where this listening to all customers comes in.
0: But, but that's fantastic. I think we sort of covered the technology transition through the pools, but let me go a bit further because I consider all three of you companies as leaders in really bringing Customer feedback into the organisation at speed and distributing it out to the front line, but I'm guessing that there are some cultural challenges in doing that, right? You before the feedback was limited and only came to a small part of your your team and it was once a year. So how do you how have you coped with the culture change about somewhat democratizing this feedback? What are the pros and cons of that? Who'd like to take that one?
2: Yeah, um, I can start. Um, no, I think
0: the one thing and
2: that, that, that this helps us do is to bring the discussion in. I think that's really that brings the discussion on the management team table. Um, and, you know, you need the management team to really solve, you know, or you need the management team, the cross-functional team, this all disciplines involved, to really solve, you know, some key issues. You know, sales reps can't solve everything, obviously, we know that. Um and i think in the past yeah you probably had the situation where you know it's not that we weren't listening to customers but it only reached a, a small group of people probably and, and that really helps so so having that being transparent and suddenly having the results of your mps and coming in on a monthly basis or weekly whatever ongoing basis having it transparent and seen throughout the entire company really really helps so we have examples of of, of companies that, that, yeah, they post the NPS uh, the on, on their 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 homepage, starting internet homepage, whatever the people have when they start up their computer, right? So everybody can see what's going on. And just giving that visible to everybody uh, just already drives hugely uh, the, the way we look at it and the way we interact. So I think that's really important. And I think the other point is it is also a bit of a deliberate effort. You know, so we really make the point uh, when we start with markets, when they aren't working on MPS and whatever, we really say, okay, hey guys, this is the change plan you need to do. Right? You you need to engage your your team. You need to build uh, this cultural change roadmap. And we actively engage with all the markets to make sure that they have that also covered.
0: But, but it can be quite confronting to get the feedback into the business. So I'm wondering, uh, David, have you got a good strategy about how you've been able to, Bring bring your team along or was it never a problem? Is it a think, US thing that, that that you guys are? No,
1: I, I don't think it's necessarily a US thing. I, I I do think that there is a um you know, as as kind of our, our stated principles, as, as I'll now think about our parent company, ABM Beth, right? Um, we have stated principles on on you know continuing to strive and, and never being satisfied with our results. We have stated principles on um, putting the cons- the consumer or the customer at kind of the, the core, or the forefront of our thinking, um, and I think that that the you know the feedback has always been there. If you think that the the first time that a sales rep has gotten a uh, a, a challenging piece of feedback was through an MPS survey, it, it, it's not right. Like they've been <laughs> getting that phone call to their boss or to their team leader saying, hey, you know what, like this guy didn't like, what, what the hell, why didn't he pick up this thing or why didn't he put up that display? And it was something that I think people over time, there there is an, an opportunity to get and reach out to and, and give feedback in a way that hopefully feels constructive, hopefully feels productive. Um, and, and I think that by and large, the way that we've, we've started to address that is that as you democratize the information, as you make it a little bit more constantly accessible, you want to make sure that you are, are kind of like creating the right behavior in the BDR as they think about themselves as the owner of that account. The owner of that account means volume, sure, but the owner of that account also means NPS. The owner of that account also means service level. The owner of that account also means making sure that they're now responsible for revenue. Um, So it means a lot of different things. So as you think about this kind of holistic sum of service and what are the measures that we're asking our our PDRs, our sales reps to be responsible for, it expands a little bit more. And I think that as they think, and as their mindset evolves, to being and creating a, a business plan with their accounts. And in the US, that's a bit of a change. As they think about this business plan, you look at a few different things as opposed to trying to be uh, linear into, into kind of just like, hey, I'm responsible for volume or I'm responsible for my innovation or I'm responsible for my incentives.
0: The uh, Good answer,
4: thanks a lot. This episode of the Account Experience Podcast is sponsored by Customer Gauge, the leading B2B experience software that ties revenue to your experience data in real time to help you make better account-centric decisions that drive revenue growth. Quick question. What do you guys think is the number one reason B2B experience programs fail? Believe it or not, it's lack of C-suite buy-in. And in Customer Gauge's research with MIT, they found the quickest way to align yourselves with the C suite is to actually align with what they care about most, which is revenue. That's why Customer Gauge is literally built from the ground up to maximize and track the revenue contribution from your experience program in real time. Companies like DHL, Anheuser-Busch, Heineken, uh, yeah, we get a good amount of free beer. One login. Iron Mountain, HR Block, Super Office, and Sugar CRM are already using Customer Gauge to maximize their growth by tying their programs to revenue. And with over $10 billion worth of account revenue actively being managed in Customer Gauge, yeah, that's billion with a B. They're by far the leaders in B2B for this type of thing. But maybe even more interesting, we found that once you get alignment with that C suite, The needs of these B2B practitioners or the program champions are evolving too. In such a complex account environment, it can be really tough to measure and act on feedback quickly across multiple departments, divisions, or even locations. Luckily, Customer Gauge has you covered there as well. With account-native features that easily help you not only measure the feedback from multiple stakeholders in an account, but act on that feedback in real time. Because at the end of the day, if you're not empowering your frontline staff with the right insights to address customer issues, you're going to be dealing with a churn issue. It's not a matter of if, it's really a matter of when. Customer Gauge helps you distribute this experience data across your entire organization, regardless of department, regardless of location, regardless of division, all in real time. No manual spreadsheets or a big team of analysts are needed. Customer Gauge's goal is to help you create an entire company committed to best serving your accounts. And that's a powerful thing. If you want to see Customer Gauge in action, go ahead and check out customergage.com and get a demo of account experience today. You won't regret it.
0: Stuart, I know you've got some things in place for in your organization.
3: Yeah, and, and I think it it depended where we... Our starting point was always, and it was probably driven by our previous approaches where we used to run these survey, these research, and then they would sit at the center, um, you know, and we'd build actions from there. And we wanted to be so different uh, going forward after COVID. And, and that's why we started with literally every single sales or customer fo- focused uh, team member has full access to um, all of the insights from the customer. And everything we then did, all the training, all the change management, was really helping them understand that the feedback is never on them. The feedback is on Coca-Cola Hellenic, right? Yeah. And ultimately, we have let our sales team down in not knowing how to respond to customers because because like David said, I mean, there's there's nothing new here in the feedback. I'm sure that the, the sales team or the business developers is getting that feedback anyway, but this gives that chance for the customer to really flag it up, the whole organization to see it. And then let's have all of those help our sales team to respond fast. And that's where we're really clear and focused on, you know, some core measures. That's not necessarily NPS. NPS we're not really as focused on right now. That's a lag indicator for us. You know, we're looking at critically coverage because that's really telling us the quality of our customer experience program if every customer is giving us feedback. And then secondly, you know, close the loop because that is The culture and capability of our sales teams to respond that tells us that ultimately everything is working behind the scenes to actually respond to customers because if we get those two right then we're demonstrating you know the customer centric behaviors or values that we aspire to as an organization and if we get that right nps will naturally look after itself so making sure that we're really focused on the right areas and that stacks up so when the business developer goes in, the first thing they see is, you know, how am I doing on close the loop? How am I doing on response? And the last thing they see is NPS. So everything had to be aligned up in that order.
0: It's interesting you're focused on the actions there, Stuart. So, do we, Roderick and David, you all see see that as well? Is it? I mean, it's it's not just a one-way thing with the customer customer feedback coming in. How are you capitalising on that in your in your business, Roderick?
2: Yeah, absolutely true. And I, I like what Stuart said. Is I think MPS is is a great measure. It's also a dangerous one because you know the minute you put a number, yes. uh, and uh, people start using it and thinking, ah, oh, that's a target that we need to change it. So we're really taking a certain effort to say um, okay it's important to measure MPS, but don't look at the numbers the, you know just look at the actions the close the loop the coverage indeed what you're saying Stuart as well so I think uh, that's that's really crucial the other thing is um you know it's it's about the action plan right and and I, I think that we see great examples and we try to share those examples to other markets, and so that everybody sees again the kind of things that have been that have been uh, taken place, so that people feel inspired. But more critically, um, we also share back with our customers, right? What have we done? So uh, a bunch of customers, if a group of customers in a certain market says your invoices are unclear, you know, uh, after uh, when we fixed the problem, so let's say it maybe took four months, I don't know, we sent them a message. I said, listen here is, we've heard your feedback and now see the new invoices and yeah, tell us what you think. Uh, So it's continuous improvement, but really share back, say this is, we've actually done something with your feedback. I think that was really powerful and simple example, But. Customers feel heard and, and that is really the core of, of then what you're trying to achieve. Yeah,
0: I think it's a great example because you know fixing invoices is perhaps the less glamorous part of the business, isn't it? But it's really essential, you know, if you're a small business owner running I mean, goodbye, it's really essential that you get that right, I'm guessing.
2: Let's not forget that a lot of the work and a lot of the pain points are about, you know, just you know, I don't want hassle, I want I want, you know, good, seamless uh, transaction, right? You know, so it's not all. It has to be, you know, rocket science and shooting for the stars, right? It's a lot of it is the practical stuff as well. And sometimes it takes a while to fix. Sometimes it's a quick fix. It doesn't matter. I think that that's, of course, a really important part. And and of course, after that, you fix the basic. You have to go and 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 you can really see how you can augment and improve the relationship. But yeah, you're right,
0: Stuart. You had an example as well.
3: Yeah, just just on the other side, because, I mean, it just came from the pilot. And I remember, you know, when we first did the pilot, we had a whole load of customers. I think it was 20% of of the ones that um, responded, you know, just wanted to say thank you to our sales teams for everything they were doing. And it was just fantastic that we were expecting, okay, we've got to follow up. You know, what's the problem we want to fix? And the customer just wanted to say thank you when we got it right. And it was just perfect for our sales teams to hear that directly from the customer, and and for us to see it so public as well. So, let's also recognise in feedback sometimes it can be really motivational because I know nothing motivates our sales teams more than actually feedback from the
1: customer. And that's actually I I'd, I'd like to to kind of compliment. We we did something similar. We were we were kind of very we were very happy with the NPS result that we got here in the U.S. Again, I agree with everything that was kind of said before on not using it as kind of the KPI, the primary KPI that the sales rep is using, but in, in aggregate, right? As we start to get, you know, into the tens and the hundreds of thousands of responses, you do start to notice patterns and you start to notice some things. And we're very happy kind of with the the outcomes that we had, we have seen. And that's something that we've started to even use to help galvanize, um, you know, what the, what, what kind of, how proud we are and how proud we are as a system of the service that we're providing to our retailers. So I think that even having that number, which is, you know, being able to start saying things like, Hey, look, look at these other companies, the Teslas, the apples, these are their MPSs. This is yours. And that's something that that kind of really galvanizes uh, the team and, and makes them them feel very, um, makes them feel very, very happy. And, and as Stuart has said, motivated around what is our shared purpose to make uh, the experience better for the, the the customer. I will say as well. I, I started to I, as I as I've kind of taken over a new role here over the past couple of months. I started to do a bit of a few market visits, right? And I see different things that you know. I'll, I'll, usually in a sales room, you'll have you know the mission statement, uh, kind of like the, the thermometer that tells you where are you on your targets. Uh, you know what are the big new innovations. But I've also started to see in a couple of these visits, people saying, "Hey." Let's improve our average service level from X to Y. And then we're a metrics-driven company, right? Where that that's not surprising for us, but but it is good to start to see things and, and people integrating the the measures and and kind of in, instilling that customer service mindset, and then using the tools to help them say, how do we? And let let's think about how we can improve this. Treat yourself as, and then something one of, and I'll I'll, I'll end with this, but one of our distributors. Um, was talking about uh, hey you know look you are it's not it's not the XYZ distribution company it is the your name David Inet distribution company right and ultimately you're the person that is responsible for the perception that the customer has of you and how you can then pull those different levers to improve their experience I think it is is really what what this all unlocks
0: oh that's great I mean it's really fantastic to listen to all three of you talking to me about how seriously you take this feedback in your business. And and I think, you know, there's, there's, there's often this perception that customers give feedback and nothing ever happens to it. And you really, you're really demonstrating that that's not the case, but, but let's just go a little bit further on that. And then kind of, as we draw to a close on this, how, how will you, how would you like to involve the customers who are not giving you feedback yet? What, what, what was, is there a, Are you encouraging people internally to do that, or are you reaching out to customers? Can you give a little color about how you're trying to increase your feedback footprint?
3: I mean, uh, maybe I'll I'll start on it. I mean, this is just, it's a constant uh, piece. I mean, we're, we're, what, six months in, and and our focus is, you know, the sales team's going out. They know who we haven't paused to, uh, and actually then going into introducing the customer, why we want to hate their feedback and actually prove it to them through the experience of then the follow-up. And so it's just, you know, largely engagement and that's where the insight can be. Has this customer received a survey? Can we ask them to receive a survey? And if so, we then got to act on it. That's the key piece because then it proves that we listen to them, we're understanding them um, and then it, it builds into the cycle from there. So it, it's just a constant process. and And as we bring more and more things online and, you know, now we're pulsing through, you know, our customer portal and other solutions. We'll reach customers in other ways, not just through, you know, the relational survey. Good to hear yeah,
1: you. I um I, I would I would say from, from our perspective, it's um I think there's there as, as you as if you view customer experience, right, or customer satisfaction as the overarching variable that we're trying to accomplish here, right? Or the overarching outcome that we're trying to accomplish here, there are different things that that can be measured as you, so as you think about, Hey, you know, what is, what is their MPS on the platform? And then what are the, the features that they need to improve? What is their volume trend and where are the, the, the places where we're seeing, you know, slowness or softness, what is the performance of the application or what is the performance or what was a, uh, a raised ticket or what was, you know, there, there are so many different things that you can measure that I think we're, what we're trying to do is we're trying to basically create a scorecard hey, how do we make sure that we think about, you know, a, a support ticket is really typically somebody who is frustrated with you, but it might not be the only person who is frustrated. It might not be the only person who is experiencing an issue. So it's just trying to be a little bit more diverse with regards to the inputs that we receive. So becoming an understanding, all right, you can, there, there might be leading indicators that are completely unrelated to what their response to a survey was. So how do we start to look at Stated preferences are part of it, revealed preferences through actions, through, through different things that they do, and then start to create those triggers that as everybody has said, this is an action that you need to take, maybe within their mobility solution. We've noticed X, Y, and Z things. Have you thought about doing this within your next account visit? Stuff like that, right? So it's, it's starting to think a little bit more about what are the different triggers that we can start to do based on all of this information that we have? And then give at least, it's not a, hey, Mr. And Mrs. Sales Rep, Mr. and Mrs. PDR, you need to do this, but here's some information that can help you make your next visit a, a valuable visit. And some of this stuff is is largely on ourselves, right?
3: I mean, it's about our ambition as well and, and, and the leadership culture. And, and, and I give that example if I think about one of our country operations is already over 50% of all their customers, direct and indirect, now giving feedback, wow. right? And, and, okay, the scale is very different between the countries, but that came from an ambition in yeah. that country to just go do it. Just go off. ask that question. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. So a lot of these things are on, on ourselves yeah. to go do and engage customers.
0: Yeah, I think that's really good. Ruderick, uh, well, from your side, you've also got it as one of your leadership um, initiatives to, to drive.
4: Can yeah,
2: you... I, think, I think it's clear. I think uh, we don't have to completely reinvent the wheel to tell people, hey, this is important. Right, so expand your customer base in, in, in your coverage as quickly as possible. Now, I think the, the really nice thing and the, and the positive thing what we've seen is we have we have really high response rates uh, on our you know uh, service, which which does indicate you know very good engagement from customers already. Uh, so it's already in itself a positive sign. And um, and as we are rolling out, we just encourage markets to you know um, yeah really. Uh, make deliberate plans to, to ensure that they expand their coverage. And then they also know, uh, yeah, it's a great thing. It's a great tool. So they're active about it. Um, at the same time, we encourage them to focus yeah, on the most valuable customers first, right? Because yeah. it's, it's also, uh, you can't do everyone at the same time. And we are also conscious of the fact that... Um, you know, you have, to, you have to be a bit bit careful in the sense that when you ask customers for feedback, you need to be able to action upon it, right? So so rather not send 100,000 surveys in one go, because, you know, how are you going to cope with the feedback if you have such a high response rate, if you can't solve and close the loop in, in, you know, 48 hours. So we are also helping them to plan this kind of what's the ideal drumbeat for them. But definitely, uh, all actions are focused on increasing that uh, that coverage, and I think that's going very well.
0: Oh, that's great, gentlemen. I'd like to really thank you for coming together today. That was a fantastic insight into the beverage business. I mean, I just wrote down a few notes about what I learned. You know, digital transformation is real, but it's accelerated through COVID. You, you know, and you've had to. You speed more than ever to do this, but really, the technologies that are out there is forcing you to get closer to customers than ever. So I really, really appreciate that. Um, I'm just going to go around the the the, uh, the room for just a last word on how you feel the the your programs might go in the future. If you can give that away, uh, Roderick, perhaps you can. You know, where, where are you on this? What's your ambition?
2: Uh, so we are, of course, in the in the point of no return. <laughs> I think we've really managed to uh, to bring uh, to bring the customer in, and that is, uh, yeah, I think that just uh, it, it really gives a lot of excitement to uh, to embark on that uh, to, uh, to embark to continue on that journey in a fast pace and really have uh, the relationship with customers uh, so close. So you know, I think this can be much bigger. Really, used to drive also. Uh, yeah, how we see also our revenue targets in the future, right? Uh, it's about how we drive customer centricity. Yeah. And, and that will become such a much more important KPI than just the output targets of the revenue. I think that that is now firmly established and we we'll continue along that path. Fascinating.
0: Stuart, I, last word from you.
3: Yeah, I mean, our, our goals are, are quite simple. I mean, we're just committed to driving the customer experience of all customers across all touch points for the business. And that starts by by listening, uh, then following up and then acting on that feedback. And, and it's that simple. That's the commitment we have. And then empowering our sales teams with, you know, the right wow. insights and the support they need wow. to actually close that loop with the customers.
0: Thanks, Jeremy. David?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, over the past 30, really, 30 years first since, since we moved to pre-sell, but really over the past 150 years that Anheuser-Busch has been, you know, in operation here in the US, we've built, um, at least in my opinion, my biased opinion, uh, the best physical route to market in, in the United States, right? Um, so as I think about this transformation, um what is the uh, you know our our goal is to make sure that we we marry the the physical route to market strength with this new digital route to market world right we want to become indispensable to our customers we want to become indispensable to our consumers in the same way on the b2c side um and and this is that's really it for us how do we bring the really, really positive relationships and things that people have built over all this time and then start to, to leverage all this new technology infrastructure and, and forward-looking stuff to make sure that we are becoming indispensable to our customers.
0: Uh, oh, that's a great way to end it. I'd like to thank you so much uh, for joining us on the Academy Experience podcast with really those insights into how to really work with the B2B uh, the channel. Roderick, thank you so much for coming from Heineken. Pleasure. Stuart, Coca-Cola, HBC, David, representing anheuser Bush. thank you so much for sharing that. And uh, Thank you very much. You can see a huge transformation in the beverage business that uh, well, can really only benefit the outlets. It's great to see there's so much professionalism there. Thanks.